Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode of Negotiate Anything. Thanks for spending time with us today. It's listeners like you in 181 different countries that have made Negotiate Anything the most popular negotiation and conflict resolution podcast in the world. I'm your host, Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer, mediator, professor, and the director of the American Negotiation Institute. Before we get started, I have two quick questions for you. Is negotiation a critical part of what you do? Do you need to resolve conflict and persuade at work? If you answered yes to both of those questions, visit our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we'd love to have the opportunity to work with you too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Mark, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Kwame. Great to see you again, bud. Yes, likewise. It's great to have you back. It's long overdue. I think it's been two years, uh, but your episode previously did really well, so we're excited to have you back. Looking forward to it. Time flies, man. It's uh, That's quite scary. You're still looking fantastic, by the way. Well, thank you. I'm just, hey, I'm just trying to keep up with my, uh, my brother from across the pond, man. <laughs> well, how about you start us off by uh, telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Uh, from two years ago, those that may still remember, I started out wanting to find my own way in negotiation consultancy. I'm still very much in that space. And I was toying with the idea of, of confidence. And that's led me to where we are today, which is we've got up and running. I believe it's the world's first inclusion-led, you know, inclusive negotiation consultancy. So what that means is we've taken two concepts, one negotiation and the other through obviously going to get into this notion of cultural intelligence. And the idea is that it's a framework that allows people to leverage their cultural differences, differences of perspective, and actually utilize them to create more innovative solutions than you otherwise would in a more you know, homogenous environment. So we've taken that from a concept and you know, I've collaborated with a US partner and you know, we've now launched this product. It'll be the back end of this year. So that's me, man. That's what I've been up to. That's fantastic. Well, kudos to you for that. That's really exciting. And um, I'm really excited to bring some of that expertise on the show because I think we've had episodes that talk about inclusion and culture and things like that. It touches on it, but I really like the idea of taking those two powerful concepts, blending them together for a strategic purpose as well. And so this is going to be great. And um, just for a a brief outline for the listeners before we jump into it, the first thing we're going to talk about is cultural intelligence. What is it? Get the definition on the table. Then we're going to talk about why it's important to have cultural intelligence in order to be an effective negotiator. And then we're going to make it really practical and let them know how you can improve your cultural intelligence. And um, I am listening with as much... um, eagerness as the listeners here because this is new to me too (laughs) and I want to get better so let's start off with the the definition so cultural intelligence what is it so cultural intelligence is one's ability to uh, function effectively in a variety of cultural contexts that's the broad definition there's a few other others out there but loosely what it's about is being able to adapt those different cultural environments that um people are subjected to, you know, day in, day out. But I think the thing to add to that definition is that it empowers you and gives you the ability to assess the individual and on an individual basis. So it it gives initial scope of preference, you know, and I suppose many people will call them stereotypes of how people behave. And so you can take that on board uh, initially, but as you get to know the person individually, intelligence gives you the way to not only understand what those preferences are, but then how to 
better negotiate, engage, manage that particular individual. So it's, it's almost as though you take the person on their own set of values and norms and you adapt accordingly, as opposed to often people refer to culture being, well, you know, the Japanese are like this. And so when you meet someone who's of Japanese origin or they happen to identify that way, you make the assumption that these things are what they would you know, prefer as ways of being engaged. So it's about giving you a, a repertoire of skills you can really dive into as opposed to taking generalized terms and then applying them liberally to those circumstances, you know, ad hoc. That's really interesting. And, and it makes a lot of sense. And I think even for the, the most hardcore uh, straight to the point business people, they can look at this and appreciate it as an important uh, tool that needs to be added to their toolbox because one of the, the most powerful things that we have at our disposal is the ability to empathize and demonstrate that yeah. we understand other people. And as we get better uh, with cultural intelligence and we improve our cultural intelligence, it sounds as though it'll help us to understand people at a higher level, which will help us to empathize, which will ultimately help us to persuade and connect. Yeah, exactly. Persuade and connect. But the way that I look at it, that might be just another alternative way of demonstrating or illustrating it is, you know, everyone's aware of IQ, you know, your intellectual quotient, your academic capability, and they're aware of EQ, your emotional capability. So CQ is also peer-reviewed and academically researched and, and certified as being your intercultural, you know, ability and capabilities. So it's grounded in the same scientific sort of basis. There's a psychometric test to it. I think where it is a step change and where it does lead to the things you've highlighted, Kwame, is um, very often people have a clear understanding of IQ and they can make decisions based on that. They have a clear understanding and maybe even have very high EQ. But what CQ does is it removes that the finite world that you have, even if you have very high emotional intelligence, it's probably encased in your own cultural norms what CQ does is allow you to look at maybe EQ but through this cultural lens so it's almost like a tertiary layer of being able to not only understand but adapt you know and then communicate and and execute in your in your negotiations that EQ alone probably doesn't quite service in the same way. Makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I, I love the, the concept of flexibility and adaptability because yeah. these, these relationships that we're having and these conversations that we're having, they're dynamic. They're not static. Everything, yeah. we're, we're going to be shifting in, in different ways as the conversation progresses and as the relationship progressive, progresses. And I think the more that we're able to connect and understand with people, the, the better able we are to adjust ourselves and adjust our, our strategy as the uh, circumstances change. And, and understanding culture is going to be an important part of that. And so as we get deeper into its application to negotiation, mm-hmm. um, what are some things that we need to keep in mind when it comes to trying to incorporate this into our own negotiation style? Where I would focus is on um, when to adapt and when not to adapt your your style or approach or, your, or strategy. So, you know, this is this is why cultural intelligence is so powerful, and I think is going to pioneer. Particularly um, thinking about the the post-COVID environment we're going to be in, but might pioneer a lot of how negotiation goes. Um, taking one example uh, that's big in negotiation is the lever of time. So 
what cultural intelligence brings to the table is a greater understanding of how, when, but importantly why, you might want to flex your perception of time and time sensitivity. That's one of the cultural values or negotiation traits is time sensitivity. Um, and I think one of the things to bear in mind is it's not that someone on the other side of the table from you who takes longer to do things or seems more relaxed um, isn't uh, as appreciative of time as you are, but their perception of when do we need to see a return on investment um, it might be very different. You know, the, the typical Anglo-American or Western idea of, of, of an ROI on time is probably the, you know, the tyranny of the quarterly report. You know, and that's just something that you know, really drives the, the theme of a negotiation. If you're dealing with an organization um, that maybe views time uh, with a slightly longer lens, um, you pushing for something that needs to drive a result um, in you know, Q2 and Q3, when they're thinking of you know, 2022, um, all of a sudden you've got a different lens to look through their behavior with. You know, you can look at it differently and decide, okay, are we going to adapt because we value that partnership and we're going to maybe meet somewhere in, in the middle with that? Or are we going to, you know, insist and, and press on that timeline? It's, it's not that you might change your outlook on how you manage time in a negotiation, but you understand uh, with a little bit more finesse, shall we say, as to why they consider time as a, a less important factor or simply they prefer to look at it very differently. That makes a lot of sense. And I think one of the key terms here is respect. And then obviously it's, it's opposite of, of disrespect and yeah. the more cultural, cultural intelligence you have, the, um, the more nuanced your opinion will be on those two terms. Because for example, let's say if you have specific deadlines that you're trying to meet and you're trying to close these mm. things very quickly um, and somebody seems to be dragging their feet, there doesn't seem to be that sense of urgency on the other side. You can look at that behavior and say, well, this is disrespectful. They are not valuing my time. But if you increase your cultural intelligence and you can understand where they're coming from, you say, oh, it's not that they don't respect my time. It's that they're operating on a different timeline. And now this becomes a a new issue that can or uh, can be negotiated or at least just acknowledged through the process, either of which would be much better than just assuming that it's disrespectful. Yeah, and I think the broader the broader application and utility of um, cultural intelligence is that you know if you're assembling a team to put a big ticket negotiation together, the the CQ scores that you you will be able to examine from your team will show you whether they've got that ability to adapt at all. It may be that you do want to change the nature of the relationship with a certain customer or partner or your opposite you know your opposite number your counterpart. But if your team haven't got the cultural intelligence to be able to adapt, then that's also something you, you know, and therefore, back to your point about disrespect, they will perceive it inappropriately as disrespect. Well, you need to address that before you have them walk into a room and represent you. They might be very intelligent. They might have great emotional intelligence. But if they haven't got uh, the CQ score that you want and aren't able to improve on that, it's something you want to know about when assembling a team. Um, let's say if you want to go in that in that direction and be much more open and and, and adapt to the new landscape that's unfolding uh, in front of all of us, frankly, at this time. Right, and I, I like the fact that you you honed in on the 
the term team because now more than ever these negotiations mm. are getting more complex and it's not just a single point of contact for each organization they're going to be teams negotiating the same deal sometimes all together sometimes mm -hmm. as separate parts at different times and and so it can get really complicated so it's not just you as an individual making sure that your cultural intelligence score is high in order to be an effective negotiator but it's also you as an organization recognizing that hey, my team <laughs> needs to have yeah. higher levels of cultural intelligence. Yeah, I, and you've got a really strong um, point, which is that idea of whether teams are coming together or working remotely, working from home, you know, having an open attention to the cultural values. And, you know, we can get into that if you'd like. You know, there, are, there are 10 of them. If your team are more cognizant of that, because there are fewer commonalities that you can find if you're working remotely as a team than if you're in a room together and you have that coffee side chat or water cooler chat. If you've got teams that are just more aware of that, the, the remoteness will become less of a, of a hindrance, you know, and you can still feel there's a dynamic and a dynamism to the team if there can be a greater appreciation of some of the cultural nuances that are going to come from from teams just working differently. That's really interesting because that shows that this cultural intelligence is not only effective and beneficial for you as a negotiator negotiating externally. Mm -hmm. It's also incredibly important for you within an organization to have higher cultural intelligence to make sure the team operates more cohesively. Yeah. I mean, all the research points, it points to, you know, um, a, you know, homogenous teams generally will, will outperform, you know, mixed and diverse groups if and where cultural intelligence is low. Where cultural intelligence is high or can be improved, and those diverse teams will outperform equally um, culturally intelligent homogenous teams every single time. In fact, it, it will make your teams more profitable and, and better at what they do um, in, in driving solutions and developing you know, profitable partnerships. You're quite quickly picking up on some of the, the utility and, and applicability of this in, in negotiations up and down all organizations across the world. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know that in addition to our usual negotiation and conflict resolution focused trainings that we do for corporations, we also have added content focused on how to have difficult conversations about race. And so what we're doing is we're blending my background in civil rights along with my background in negotiation and conflict resolution to create a one-of-a-kind training that is customized for your organization that helps you get through these difficult conversations. If you're interested, make sure to check out the link in the description to learn more and now back to the episode right and it seems as though the teams that have higher levels of cultural intelligence more diversity of, of background ethnicity race all those things the teams that are more diverse are going to be in a better position to come up with creative solutions when yeah. it comes to solving these problems and yeah. for me as a as a lawyer and, and a mediator and, and you as a attorney sorry barrister of course. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> They're totally different. I, Not. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I know we've all been in situations where creativity was the key uh, to, yeah. to solving the problem. And so it, it seems as though we're oftentimes we're missing out on some of that uh, secret sauce when it comes to getting the deal across the line because we, we don't have the, uh, the requisite cultural intelligence and diversity on the negotiations team. Yeah. And I think what the other thing you've highlighted is that I'm sort of extrapolating from what you've, you've said is that 
when you have any type of change, so any sort of innovation, for a lot of people, change is scary. You know, and it's even if it's a good thing, there's that there's that sort of lizard brain, human instinct to kind of protect yourself. And cultural intelligence is at, is at its most effective because it's something that, when trained and honed really well, people utilize in those moments of tension and where you might retreat to your your cultural norms and make a decision about a solution or a partnership that is less risky and maybe less profitable. What CQ allows you to do as a negotiator is say, well you know what, let's, let's believe in what we're trying to do and not allow the emotion and pressure of the situation have us retreat to what we've always done. Let's embrace that diversity. And of course, with a, with a measure of, of risk and with some certain benchmarking done, but let's, let's try this innovative idea. Let's, let's make this alliance work and, and let's go down this path that maybe fear would, if we had low CQ in this negotiation, would mean us doing what we've always done and therefore getting what we've always got. Right. And this, this makes me think about um, sports. In, in sports, yeah. they talk about the importance of, of drilling different things. And it's just like in, in, uh, in our professions too, right? We need mm. to, if we're going to learn new things and acquire new skills, we need to practice them, practice them, practice them. So they become automatic. Because if you have mm. to think about it, it's less likely that you're actually going to use it. And then under situations when you're under pressure, when you're uh, fearful, when you're feeling emotional, we are going to resort to the habits that bring us the most comfort. And if mm-hmm. we don't have that high level of cultural intelligence, then we are not going to feel comfortable and confident in our ability to try something innovative or creative in under the heat of the moment. Yeah, yeah, we can get into it. There's, there's a you know a framework that um, that talks to that. But I think what's prudent to, as well here is to you know give an example. So how do I use it? You know how do I utilize it more? Because you're right, you've got to practice it, right? I mean, like the whole planet. We're watching the last dance and seeing the things Jordan's doing, and it, you know it's no accident, right? He's just practice, 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 and he would probably train harder than he would in game time. So, you know, one example might be taking another one of the, the negotiation traits, cultural values, is this idea of multitasking versus being very linear. The one thing you can do if you're negotiating with someone who naturally is a multitasker and they always seem very haphazard, and maybe you've got another partner that you're negotiating with in this uh, in this deal and they are particularly linear and like things in a certain way, well, your cultural intelligence would be to recognize, well, I myself am also quite multitask orientated. I can do three or four things at once. Maybe it might be prudent for me to send an agenda across to the person who's very linear to say, look, you know me, I'm always here, there and everywhere during the negotiation. There's so many topics we're discussing. How about you help me to help you by putting this, this list in an order of priority and that'll allow me, my multitasking brain, to hone in on things for you so that, as we always tend to run over time because I go off on a tangent, we can get these five things done and these remaining three items, we know what we can pick up on an email. And I'll send those to Kwame because he's also someone who's very non-linear and is all over the place. And I'll make sure he's on top of it as well. And if you like, you and me offline can find time to look at these three things again, because I know how much you like to deal with those in a certain order to try and get these contract points done and dusted before we have to submit next week. And that's just one example of how if you're cognizant and you're really engaging a cultural intelligence, you can plan for those eventualities rather than winging it and then having a partner frustrated because once again, we've only got through three of these agenda points 
because I've gone off on a tangent and I've started talking about something completely unrelated or I've taken a phone call and I've said, hold on, or, you know, whatever it might be that people who are non-linear uh, are more than happy to engage in because actually that's their preference. Right. And there are two main things that are sticking out to me now. First thing is it all starts with self-awareness. And I feel yeah. like I say that all the time, <laughs> no matter what it is that we're talking about. But self-awareness yeah, so is the true. key. You don't know, you can't navigate to where you want to go on a map if you don't know where you currently are on said yeah. map. So self-awareness is the key. You need to understand your strengths, your weaknesses, and that needs to be the start. And I also like how in this example, it's not just culture in the standard um, way that we think about culture, where we might think Correct. about company culture or country culture or ethnic culture, something like that. We're talking about culture as it relates, not just to the macro sense, but also the micro sense. This mm -hmm. is your personal culture, almost, almost touching on personality and recognizing those differences yep. and then finding ways to pull people together. Yeah. And you've hit the nail on the head. It is. It's, it's applicable at the macro and the micro level, totally. And, you know, it, I suppose the other way of defining culture is any group of people who identify themselves by a, a defined set of, of norms you know so it can be people who are purely into you know rock music or world war ii memorabilia or you know it can be anything but if we have a uh, you know a set of criteria that we adhere to as being clearly identifiable as being at our culture it's norms to them so it does work on both levels i feel uh, you know I've, I've taken the opportunity to challenge the robustness of it because of course i'm wanting something that's going to be a have you know have the utility that I'm looking for and I think that, you know, people want in this day and age. So you've hit the nail on the head with that. You know, it's about looking at the individual and accepting. But it works both ways, of course. It can be used for Machiavellian purposes. You know, if, if someone's so inclined, like with anything in life, obviously, that's how you can get that authenticity across as well. I think one of the things, you know, we're on a tangent slightly, but that I found limiting with my previous negotiation skill set and methodology was often it, it required of you some something inauthentic you know that you, you were having to put on a certain you know negotiation jacket or behave a certain way that wasn't entirely you that in fact would breed mistrust in the other party and what cultural intelligence and this product is doing is saying well let's look for the authenticity and look to adapt to that authenticity authentically and still be able to achieve your goals and still be able to innovate. You know? And I think that's what I found most liberating by some of the work I've been doing for our clients is that they, they come to them, they come to the negotiation wholly themselves. That's so interesting. And so let's say there's a person out there listening to this episode and they're saying to themselves, this sounds really good, but I've been doing the same thing the same way for decades at this point. How do I make that change and, and increase my cultural intelligence while still being authentic? Because my authentic self just hasn't changed in a really long time. Yeah. How, do we, how do we handle that? That's a great question. I think there needs to be a willingness to stretch. And what I mean by stretch is there are 10 cultural values or negotiation traits. And in fact, the, the mnemonic I use is I am culture, funnily enough, for the, to make it memorable. It's I am, you know, there's the I am culture traits, the I am culture values. And you will get scores against each of those 
preferences, those traits. And so it's not that it's right and wrong, good or bad. It's that, you know, picking the I, which is individualist versus collectivist, you know, that's that's the, the range on the spectrum of I, individualist all the way to collectivist. You know, if you happen to be very, very individualist and you're working with, again, let's take a broad, a broad example for the purposes of the demonstration, but you're working with or employing or leading a team or negotiating with someone who you know is very collectivist in their nature, they think of the we and the larger self, and you've got to make a decision which we can help you strategize and plan for as to being, a, being, being willing to stretch your preference more to their ballpark of thinking less about winning for, your, for yourself and, and putting actions in place that demonstrate and illustrate to the other party that you're, you're trying to be more collectivist in your approach to what, what winning looks like. And so if someone comes to me and says, look, I've done the same thing you know, forever in a day, it may be that we start with something that is very easy for them to identify with. And that may be another one which would be power distance. So that would be the L. You're either low low power distance all the way up to you know, high power distance. And you can cross-pollinate these things. So we're jumping a little bit. But maybe we'll look. People of the baby boomers generation, maybe that they are used to high power distance, a high power environment when they negotiate, a hierarchy of things. And speaking for myself, I'm much more low power distance. I'm much more egalitarian in how I like to think about power dynamics. We put something in place with someone who is of that generation who tends to be used to more high power distance to say, look, really maximize value from this negotiation and to make you more money, it may be that you need to consider engaging on a much more level playing field with the organization, the counterpart. You need to think about negotiating in a format and a way that allows them, help them help you. and by incrementally seeing those results and having someone stretch to being less meritocratic and allowing decision-making to take place at a much more low-power level. It takes time, but once you see the results coming through, of course, you can then bring people on board and you can start to get more positive reinforcement. All in all, it's initially about people accepting that it's not right and wrong, but they have these preferences across the spectrum and allowing, you know, they've got to be open, allowing us to help them to work through that. That's fantastic. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. And with the time that we have left, let's talk about some changes or some action items that people could could utilize to improve their cultural intelligence. So let's make it practical for them. So we talked about self-awareness already. What would you say is the, uh, the next important step? So the scores themselves that you would achieve, you know, across the IM culture values don't mean anything without a framework. So people might be very self-aware already and they know they're very individualist or they're very time they have a high time sensitivity one of the for this example that would be very good to use is if you are universalist or you're very particularist in your approach to negotiation what i mean by that really is your outlook and reaction to fairness if you feel that you're someone who's very fair then through the cq lens you're you're very universalist in your approach you know one size fits all these are the rules these are the contract terms and everyone should adhere to them. If you were to run that through the four phases of strategizing, it might be something like this. For yourself, you know that you're very universalist. You like uh, fairness as being a big part of any negotiation. So the first phase is, is about drive or motivation. So the motivating factor for you is that it should be fair for all parties concerned. The second thing to look at would be, okay, well, now that I have that in my locker, and I need to look at gaining a little bit more knowledge, a bit more insight into my counterpart. And you might find that they are very 
history shows you from the deals they've done, they're very particularist. So their business norms are, it's not one size fits all, but that for certain key partners, they will extend their payment terms or they will shave off half percent depending on the volume that's put through or, you know, name your example. So there you might now go back to your team and look at those in your team that are able to stretch their universalist approach and be willing to look at being more particularist in engaging with that particular counterpart in the negotiation, that particular business partner. The third wheel to look at is then strategy. And I have to quote one of my dear friends, Marcia. She picked up on, uh, on this quote, which I believe is from Eisenhower. And that's, that's the idea of planning is everything. Uh, the plan is nothing. And so strategy is about looking at the ability to adapt everything that we're putting together in the knowledge phase and in the drive phase to say, okay, is everything that we put together here what we think is what's going to happen in this upcoming negotiation? And that's a very metacognitive way of, of looking at the negotiation. And that's, again, thinking back to this universalist versus particularist ideal. Well, what if in this instance, because our, our proposition, our proposal is so powerful, would they be willing to be more universalist? Would they be willing to come to our ballpark and play in our ballpark around this time frame? And what will we do if that happens? Let's not make the assumption that because they're particularist, it always will be, and we'll make specific demands. Let's put a plan together that says, what if the exact opposite, the 180 is true? And then finally, the, the fourth phase of it is action. And that, that is down to the nitty gritty nuts and bolts of how, as universalists, people who really believe in fairness, are we going to behave when we walk into that room with people who are very particularist and have very specific demands very often of their partnerships? And that's about the things that you know, Kwame and your listeners will know, but you know, your nonverbal communication, you know, your, your, um, your register, um, you know, your verbal, you know, verbal cues, speech acts all those things but again looking at it through lens of cultural intelligence you can decide how much of that you're going to stretch and how much you're going to really keep within your wheelhouse when it comes to adapting and that is a very cyclical model so you know the more you feed into it the more you get out of it and so on and so on makes a lot of sense and i i love the 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 fact that there's a lot of preparation involved and you can't just leave that up to chance and say, oh, you know what? I'll just feel out their culture as, <laughs> as yeah. I have the conversation. That's yeah. too hard to do. And I don't think it's realistic. For the listeners out there who haven't yet downloaded your free negotiation guide, make sure you do that because, like we said, preparation is important. So if you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash guide or check out the link in the description, you can get access to 15 plus uh, negotiation guides. And, and now after having this conversation, Mark, I'm thinking to myself, I need to add some culture stuff. <laughs> to- <laughs> Happy to help, brother. Happy to help. Yeah. If, do you ha- Actually, do you have a culture-based guide? Like a, like a one-pager or something like that? I have one that uh, I can send a link to for sure. Yeah, um, we'll, no put that in the, we'll put that in the description too so people can get access to that because I, I like this angle that, that you've yep. added. Yeah, no, man, we can do that badly. And it's some, some real top-line, you know, straightforward things, nothing too arduous. And if people want a more of a flavor for it, then they can reach out to me. You know, I'm sure we'll have the, the usual links and things and we can get into it. But uh I mean, that's, you know, that's the that's really what's scratching the surface. But if people can take what we've been discussing and put it into those four phases, it'll start to give people just another lens to which they can look at how they, they plan and prepare their negotiations. That's great. 
Oh yeah, man, this has been fantastic. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And, um, before you go, uh, let the listeners know how they can get in touch with you and um, if there's anything big coming up on the horizon for you. Cheers, buddy. I appreciate it. So uh, LinkedIn is probably the best one. It's uh, forward slash the cultural negotiator. My Instagram is also the cultural negotiator. So they can find me there. The website's coming, cqnegotiator.com. That's on the horizon. Um, but the other shout out I want to do is to the Cultural Intelligence Center. They're based out of Grand Rapids in Michigan and their website is culturalq.com. That's, um, where, uh, that's where I go for a lot of my insight and uh, is uh, the foundation for the product we're, you know, I'm putting together in collaboration with them. So we'll be launching something in the next couple of weeks that's a collaborative product. I also will be, I think when it is now, it's not going to be till September. But we've got uh, a big a presentation coming up september that's going to go out you know live we're going to live stream and do some bits and pieces on social so uh, but that's a while in the making yet fantastic well mark thank you again my friend this has been fantastic my pleasure man always good to see you keep rocking it thank you congratulations you've just joined an elite club by listening to a full episode you're now officially on the negotiate anything team so welcome aboard what most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show the best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations keep learning keep practicing and keep getting better your relationships will improve your career will soar and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations again thank you for joining the team we're excited to have you and i will see you in the next episode i'll catch you later